0: Good morning. Welcome to our online build lessons. Um, This weekend, I got some flack from some of the elders for having product placement in the NGM lesson. And I personally think that's ridiculous. It's a good cup of coffee. I I wouldn't try to promote my business using church means. I just I can't imagine anyone that would want to do that. Um, I'm here to teach from God's word, not to try to push any sort of business or anything. Um, so as I get started, let's just talk about what we're going over. Um, we've been doing Build or kind of paused on Build for nearly a month. Um, ben did a phenomenal job last a uh, couple of weeks ago teaching us through Proverbs and really kind of being the guinea pig for the, the video version of these lessons. And so, Ben, I want to thank you for that. It was really helpful. I know it spoke to to my heart and has helped me in the way I've positioned myself over these last couple of weeks, so thank you, Ben. Um, I really miss us getting together. I miss the times and the interaction that we're going to have with Build. You know, I'm teaching this online, I'm recording this into a camera, Um, I know that's more helpful than just audio, but one of the biggest benefits of Build is the Q&A and the back and forth and the discussions that we have during the lessons themselves, and we're not getting that right now. However, I think this is better than probably a Zoom version of this. I think I'm able to be more clear and able to teach better. But that interaction, that back and forth is going to have to take place in the discussion group. So I highly encourage you um, to get into those discussion groups. Make sure that you do those Zooms and um, interact with the guys. And hopefully we can be back together as a group um, before the end of the semester. So this lesson's on biblical decision making. The title is... Biblical decision-making and the fallacy of finding God's will. Um, I've been excited to teach this lesson. This is actually one of the lessons I taught or the one lesson I taught last year as well. Um, And I've been looking forward to this lesson um, partly because there were areas after last year's that um, I was looking forward to refining and partly just because this lesson is just near and dear to my heart. There's a reason that I picked it uh, last year when there were lessons available for me to help teach. Um, And so now that the COVID thing has happened, I actually think it's more important than ever that we have a good biblical foundation for how we go about decisions because we're making very important decisions um, in terms of how we interact with government, how we interact with our family, how we shepherd our family through this, how we interact with our business, what, you know, people are losing jobs, jobs are extra busy. There's just all sorts of reasons for us to make a decision and having a biblical template I think it's very helpful for that. So um, what this lesson is, is kind of built in three parts. The first part talks you, talks through what is God's will and how do we um, go about understanding the different aspects of his will. The second part really speaks to a lot of wrong thinking. I think many of us in the Christian community have with respect to making decisions Um, and how we go about making decisions. I know every single portion in the man-centered approach to making decision. uh, I have done uh, at one point or another, and most of them for very significant decisions. And then the third part is a template that's really pulled from Joel James, who's a pastor in South Africa and one of Scott Maxwell's very good friends. um, One of his guides and his counseling on how to make decisions. And it's very, very good. And so there's a guide here at the end that talks about I think it's seven steps, six steps, I really should know off the top of my head, um, to making a biblically sound decision. Um, And so, you know, making decisions is important. I find myself making um, a decision almost everywhere I turn, and you don't even think about it. If you Google how many decisions are made in a day, studies show, or the first result says that um, you make about 35,000 conscious decisions a day. That seems high, but think about it. Like, you're making decisions all the time. I'm probably not speaking to all of those. What this really talks about, and this lesson is built for, is the significant decisions. When when you have a life-altering decision and you want to think about it, um, although some of the, the man-centered approaches, I think we use in every decision all over the place. And, and that might just not be helpful. Um, and so, as... As I start to intro this, I want you to think for a minute, what is your decision-making process? Think back on three or four significant decisions you've made. Maybe it was what school to put your kids into. Maybe it was um, what your last job move was, a house move, um, or even a smaller decision like what um, you guys wanted to do in response to COVID. How you have decided to have your family respond to this. Um, and think through what went in to make that decision and how did God have a role in that decision. And I hope today to give you um, a biblical template so the next time you, you're you even um, more grounded in truth in how you make that decision. Uh, so let's look at scripture to start. Um, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. So I'm going to go ahead and read it. I kind of cheated. I'm already open there in my Bible. So it says, therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. I'm going to go ahead and pray and then get started. Father God, thank you for this great day. Lord, thank you for the technology and the means to be able to To continue classes like this, even when we're apart, Lord, thank you for your word, for being trustworthy. Lord, thank you for um, your love for your people, for each of us, Lord, and for giving us a guide um, in how to make decisions. Lord, thank you for revealing your will in so many different areas, Lord, and thank you for um, keeping some of your will hidden from us um, so that we um, can go about interacting in life in a, in a very different way. Lord, thank you for all of that. Lord, speak to these men as they listen to this message. Lord, help my words to be clear. Lord, in anywhere um, that I may stumble or may have a difficult time explaining it, Lord, just be clear and have your Holy Spirit work through me, Lord. In your name, amen. All right, Ephesians 5, 15 through 17. I'm going to read it one more time. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. This passage is full of imperatives. There are a lot of commands within this passage. In fact, making the wrong decision can result in unwanted consequences. And it's described right there. Think about that for a minute. Think about a decision you may have made where you wanted to do over. I know there's many of those in my life. Um, how did you go about making that decision? And are you confident that you made it in a biblical manner? In cr- contrast, making the right decision can, can have very good long-term benefits. Um, your heart is impacted by every decision you make. Your household is impacted by every decision you make. Others around you are impacted by your decision-making and a lot of times your qualification is impacted by decision-making. And so it makes a lot of sense that decision-making is a topic here within BUILD. Um, every single one of the BUILD disciplines lines up with the way you make decisions. Um, even, and most importantly, your interpretation of scripture um, reveals your decision-making process. Or the other way around, your decision-making process is revealed Um, or it reveals the way that you look at scripture. And so having a proper hermeneutic and a proper approach to scripture um, will only improve your decision-making. And so looking at verse 17, it says, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And so we want to understand what the will of the Lord is. That is our goal um, in this lesson is understanding what God's will is and understanding what it is Making decisions. Um, So here's the million dollar question Is it God's will that you find God's will before you make a decision? And if that answer is yes, then He's going to make His will obvious, right? Let me say it a different way. If God gives us a command to understand the will of the Lord, and He requires that to be that command to be completed in every decision we make, then he's going to show us a foolproof way to find God's will as we make decisions. Scripture will be reliable and will not lead us astray on the, import, on the important matter if we need to know God's will before we make a decision. So let's look at scripture and see what it teaches us about God's will. Um, so, I gave you a roadmap before. Let me just give it to you again. Um, We're going to start by looking at God's will in scripture. Then we're going to look at man-centered attempts to finding God's will. And then we're going to look at a biblical decision-making process. So the first section is God's will in scripture. God's will in scripture comes in two forms, prescripted will and decretive will. And so the prescriptive will is what God has commanded God has prescribed us to do specific things like do not steal. That is a command from God. Decretive will is what he's decreed will happen. Um and he hasn't put that into uh, very clear circumstances that this is exactly how it's going to happen, but it's a decree. And we'll, we'll dig into that a little bit later, but if you think about it this way, prescriptive is revealed and decretive is unrevealed. Um and so let's start by looking at God's revealed will. God's revealed will will be explained in three categories. Um, the first category is God's commands that reveal His will. Let's look at this in play. I'm going to turn to Matthew seven twenty one. I didn't put bookmarks in ahead of time, so we'll see how long that part takes. Matthew seven twenty one. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter. The father's will is revealed in the way that he saves sinners. There is a specific command for what we must do to be saved. Repent and believe. God has not hidden or kept secret that will. The father's will in regards to salvation salvation is fully revealed and praise God for that. That's amazing. Um, if we're talking about hidden will versus revealed will, can you imagine a scenario where God's hidden will is how we are saved? Um, I actually have an old buddy who's Sikh and he and I were talking about our faiths and in the conversation, he explained his religion and basically they believe in reincarnation. And they believe that their job here on earth is to, to be so good that they capture the attention of the gods. And if they capture the attention of the gods, then they'll be pulled into heaven and the next better wave of life or whatever that is. But if they don't capture God's attention, then they get to repeat and try again. Um, and so when I pushed him on that, like I asked him, well, what do you need to do to capture God's attention? And he said, I don't know. And I said, well, that, that sounds terrible. Like, that sounds like a horrible way to live out your faith. And, and he said, it, it's tricky, but we know that we need to do good things. And we know what good things are. And we just hope that that happens. Think about the hope that comes from knowing that you have saving faith. And being allowed, like having that be revealed. Think about what life would be like if that wasn't revealed. Um, It is an amazing grace from God that he has revealed his will in salvation. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. This is another revealed will from God. It's an example of how the New Testament believer um, can be pleasing to the Lord. And how are you pleasing to the Lord? To give thanks God has not hidden this command from us. We have everything we need to know concerning his will for this command. Give thanks in all things. Another one, 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. And then he highlights even deeper. That is that you abstain from sexual immorality. This is one of my favorite verses. Every man watching this video should have this verse memorized. This is God's will, your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. Um, God has revealed precisely what his will is for us. And in that revelation, he has said that we need to be sanctified and that we need to be sexually, and to be sanctified, we need to be sexually pure. Um, when it comes to to battling sin, we need to recognize what God's will is. And I think it's interesting that we talk about God's will all the time when we're talking about decision-making, and yet when we're trapped in various sins, whether it's sexual or other, um, we don't spend a lot of time recognizing that we are going against God's will for our lives by living in these sins. Um, When it comes to battling sin, we need to take God's will seriously. I think it would do us all good to spend some time thinking about how God's will affects our holiness or God's will interacts with our holiness. So the next area of God's revealed will is God's broad intentions for believers reveal his will. Let me put that another way. God reveals his will in his general commands. So this is similar to um, the, the, direct commands, but there's general things about what God's will is that um, we as believers can know God's will. Uh, Let's turn to Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Like I said, this is similar to God's commands for believers. It does reveal his will, but it's a more general, broad principle. Principles are stated in broader ways that may not tell you a specific action to take in a given situation, but you must live by God's broader intent in his revealed will for you, a non-conformed, transformed, renewed living. Um, And so, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but thinking about this in the context of decision-making, um, we need to, to look at God's will cannot be disaligned from these broader for- portions of his attentions. Meaning, if we're going to go do something and it does not contribute to our non-conformity to the world, our transformed by the renewing of our mind and our different form of living, then that is God's will that we do not make that decision. And I'll get into that in a lot more detail later, but I just kind of wanted to connect um, what God's revealed will in his broader intentions is, does to our decision making and to the lesson as a whole. Now let's look at the third category of God's revealed will. Um, and this is what God's will was for all of human history. All of human history, his plan, is reveals his will. So Galatians 1 4, I won't turn there. It says, grace to you and peace from God, our father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins so that he might rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and father. It was God's plan for human history that he would rescue certain sinners from their sins in this present evil age. That was God's um, revealed will, God's revealed will. Um, And so for the next verse, God's plan for human history does not only include past events like the death and resurrection of Jesus, but it will also include future events that are here to come. And so that's Ephesians 1, 9, and 10. I'll also read it from my notes. It says, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with the view to administration suitable to the fullness of the times. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. Um, he made known to us the mystery of His will, both in the death and resurrection of Christ, as well as in the fullness of times. God's plan for not only human history but even beyond that is for all of what He has made. Is for all what He has made is that everything be summed up in the person of Jesus someday. This includes His return, His judgment of sinners and his millennial reign. So, I'd summarize what we know about God's revealed will. God's commands, his broad intentions, and his master plan are all part of make up his revealed will. This is all knowable. There's a lot of that. There's a lot in scripture that reveals that God has revealed to us in his will. So, when a Christian is trying to discern God's will in his life, but he doesn't have these three things in mind, then He's missing it, Um, and so we need to look at the scripture. We need to know the scripture. We need to have use it to help us understand what God's revealed will is, so that when we go about those decisions, like should I go to ASU or community college? Should I buy a house or a condo? Should I rent or buy? Should I get this car? Um, What school should my kids go to? Should I pull my kids out of school? All of these decisions. Um, we need to understand what God's revealed will is and how those decisions line up with his revealed will. So now let's look at his unrevealed will. That's number two. Let's start at Proverbs. Um, I have six Proverbs in my notes, and so I'm going to read through those six Proverbs and then kind of talk about them. And so Proverbs 16.1, the plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongues is from the Lord. And then Proverbs 16.3, Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. Proverbs 16:9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. I'm going to read that one again. I, that's so good. It's Proverbs 16:9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Proverbs 19:21. Many plans are in a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord will stand. Proverbs 20:24. 20, Man's steps are ordained by the Lord. How, can, how then can man understand his way? Proverbs acknowledges that God has an unrevealed will or plan for every person. Notice these Proverbs do not specifically reveal what it is, nor does it give any direction that can be discovered before a decision is made. Proverbs leads God's unrevealed will, well, unrevealed. Oh, it is mysterious. It is mysterious. When you're seeking God's will for the decision before you, it is usually unrevealed. It is usually mysterious. So here's the question that doesn't get asked by us enough. How does the Bible direct us to think about knowing the unrevealed will of God, especially in regards to decision-making? Does the Bible ever tell us, teach us, guide us, direct us on how we can know his unrevealed will in specific decisions before we decide? Are we ever directed by scripture that we can and must know God's unrevealed will for a specific decision before we make it? Are we ever directed to find God's will when it's unrevealed before we make a decision? The answer is no. I, in, in searching scripture, you can't find it. You'd think as popular as finding God's will is in decision making for Christians, that it would be all over scripture, but it's just not. Um, The honest truth is that the practice or concept isn't found in the New Testament at all. Believers in Jesus Christ never are directed by God through his word to find God's unrevealed will before they make a decision. If you carefully read through scripture's references to God's unrevealed will, you'll find the concept of finding that unrevealed will absent. Scripture indeed does assume that God does have a plan or a will for every specific incident in every human life. But those same scriptures also assume that his unrevealed will in those daily events in the lives of believers remains unknowable until after the fact. Let's look at some examples. Um, I'm going to turn to Romans 15, 30 and 32, 30 through 32. Now I urge you, brethren, by the our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. Paul's desire to go to Rome to see the believe Paul's desire was to go to Rome to see the believers there. Paul knew God had a plan for the gospel mission, but but did Paul write as if he believed that he could know God's will and how he was going to get there? Not at all. He asked for prayer to be able to get there. He didn't say, this is the way it's going to work out because God revealed it to me. He said, pray that it works out this way because that is my desire. And he didn't talk about finding God's will. Um, Paul makes it to Rome. We'll know If Paul makes it to Rome, then we'll know it was God's will for him to be there. That's basically what Paul's saying. God made his plans and let God, Paul made his plans and let God direct his steps, just like the Proverbs sixteen nine verse. And he would have never guessed he would get there as a prisoner via shipwreck. And and if you think about that story, like think about how Paul got to Rome, like that was, I promise you not his plan. And if we used a lot of our, our approaches to decision-making, um, he would have been convinced that was not God's will that he gets to Rome because of the way he got there. But it was obviously God's will that he gets to Rome. And I think that's a big piece of this as we kind of work our way through the rest of this um, lesson is we need to look at, we need to not be using anything other than scripture to help us understand what God's will is. And at the end of the day, um, we may just not know until after the fact. God's will was Paul getting to Rome. You know how he knew it? 'Cause he got to Rome. If you look at that a little bit even from the context of the, the NGM lesson that I taught a couple of days ago, it was God's will that Moses save the Israelites and bring them back. And he even told Moses, You know how you'll know that it was my will? Because you'll be here later praising me. Um, and so a lot of times the evidence that you are in God's will is because it played itself out. I'm going to go ahead and skip some more of these evidences uh, so that we can ever be done. Um, Let's look at James 4, 13 through 15, though. Go ahead and turn there. James 4, verses 13 through 15. It says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such city and spend a year there, and engage in business, and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while, and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live, and also do this or that. Consider what James says about future plans and decisions. James, and the rest of scripture, doesn't even come close to speaking about future decisions like we hear most Christians speaking today. His point in this whole thing is, you know, Obviously, we make decisions and we move towards them, but we understand that the, way, the path that we're on is God's will, um, and not that we have some expectation that my, the end of my year is going to look like this, or the end of five years is going to look like this, because frankly, it just never comes out the way we think. Um, I promise you that when I left for Disneyland on whatever that was, March 7th, I did not think that was basically the last time I was going to leave the house. For like two months. Um, that was never on my radar. Um, and so we just need to recognize that that our decision-making process is us making plans and walking in the path that God's given us. Um, Deuteronomy twenty nine twenty nine, another great verse to memorize. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things revealed belong to us and to our sons forever, that we may observe all of the words of this law. Um, J- Joel James says it this way. In the closing chapters of Deuteronomy, God revealed his, some of his will or plan for the broad scope of Israel's history. If Israel obeyed his law, they would flourish in their new land. If they disobeyed his law, they would languish and be expelled from their land. In fact, God declared in Deuteronomy 31 that national disgrace and exile wasn't just a potential development, but it would happen. God had revealed his will or plan for the future of Israel. The curious Israelite was sure to ask when and how Israel would be humbled. However, God wasn't giving out those details. In fact, God had Moses tell his people to not attempt to discover the details of future events. Instead, they were to focus on what he had commanded them to do in his law. That's really important. We don't need to spend all of our lives med- like trying to come up with the details of what it is. Instead, our job is to obey God's law, God's New Testament commands that he's given us as Christians today. We speak as if God's will for future events in our daily lives is lost. It isn't. It's hidden. And God told us not to look for it. This applies even to God's unrevealed plan in our lives for COVID. It is not revealed how this virus is going to take place throughout this country. It is not revealed at this point what Doug Deucey is going to say on April 30th for what May looks like. I don't know what that is. I can plan as much as I can for what next week looks like or today looks like, given the current circumstances, God hasn't revealed his will. And I need to understand that. So in conclusion on God's will, section one of three, do you, do you want to go about decision-making the right way? Absolutely. We all do. So don't look for what God says that we can't know before it happens. Don't do that. Um, There's a discussion here in my notes about Gideon. Um, If you go back and look at Judges 6, 36 through 40, we could talk about that. I'm running a little long right now, and so I don't want to go into a lot of detail. But let me just say that Gideon example is an example of one who had little faith, and God was gracious to him in spite of that faith, and revealed his will to him in a very different way than God reveals to us most of the time. This is not an example in prescriptive scripture that says, this is how God likes to reveal his will. This is actually God being gracious to a man with little faith. And so go ahead, look at Judges 6 through 36 in that context. And I think it might change some of your thinking around how to approach Gideon. Um, so if scripture is absolutely silent on us trying to find God's unrevealed will before we make decisions, where do we get the idea? Um, frankly, I think we made it up. Frankly, I think we're man-centered people. We're always trying to look at things our way. And, and we, as you know, Generation X, Millennials, whatever generation we are, really ran with this in the 80s and 90s. And, um, and it's just kind of become a norm within the Christian community. And I don't think it's helpful. And, and I think it's surprising how oftentimes this next section where it's man-centered attempts to find God's will, I think it's, it will surprise you how many times um, you just apply these naturally without even thinking about it. Um, and we need to break some habits in the way we, we approach God's will and the way we think about decisions. And so that's what I want to talk about in this next section. I want to list off several man-centered attempts to finding God's will. And the main reason I highlight this is not because I've sat here in a room with you guys and thought, oh man, you know, Shag does this or, you know, whoever it is does this. And I want to speak to that. Frankly, I think we, you guys, in my interactions with you guys are very good at not letting yourself fall into this. But I also think there's just a default thought process in some of these things. Um, And like I said at the beginning, I've made significant decisions using one or all of these um, at different times in my life. And so the first man-centered approach to decision-making is a purely pragmatic approach. And I say purely because there is no other influence allowed to impact the decision-making process. Um, I'm an engineer. I love decision matrices. The decision matrix I built um, to buy the house that I'm sitting in right now um, was insane. And we went through this whole thing and it had like scoring factors and Jenna and I scored it and it drove her nuts. And, um, and if that had been the only guide that I had used to decide whether to buy a house or not, and I hadn't gone through any other counsel, that would have been a very unhelpful man-centered approach. I would have said, this is this, I'm going to listen to nothing else because the math says it what it is. Um, this is very dis- dangerous. And as you look at all of these, um, these man-centered approaches, what you see, and this one starts with it, is it, it focuses me. It starts within me. And this is a contrast that I think is important as we kind of think through this versus the next section is all of the man-centered approaches, um, all start with you and your thinking and all of the God-centered approaches start with taking feedback from the outside, um, whether it's scripture or good biblical counselors or whatever, it, it starts, your decision-making starts outside of you. And that, that's a great principle. Even when we think about like the, the overarching, my heart is wicked and deceitful, um, we need to recognize that our first impulse without a strongly she- heart shepherded by God's word is going to have a man-centered approach to decision-making. And, and a purely pragmatic approach is about as man-centered as it gets because you're not using any other counsel other than whatever analytics that you create. Um, the second approach to, to man-centered approach is the lucky dip approach to scripture. Um, this is where a person pulls up God's word, opens it up and, and says, oh, I'm going to read this passage and then infuses into whatever passage you're reading a decision. Um, so should I move out of space? State, the next morning, you read Genesis 12.1, says, go forth from your land. Well, there it is. Man, that's crazy. I know that's not what that passage says, but isn't it awesome that as I'm making this decision, it lines up? It is such, like, it is just an amazing form of God's sovereignty in the way that I read scripture. I've heard that. I've done that. Um, that's not helpful. God's will for your life is not to follow Genesis 12.1 and take the command from that. It just absolutely isn't. Um, This is a wrong view of the Bible. This is a wrong approach to interpreting the Bible. It's a wrong approach to how to apply scripture. This doesn't at all line up with 2 Timothy 2.15, which actually, let's go there. Um, Let's go to 2 Timothy 2.15 and read it. Um, And this is actually, if we back up, this passage was my... Uh, H3 or trust passage back in the day, because I felt like this section of scripture, Second Timothy 2, uh, I think I did 14 through 18 or something like that. Um, I think it's so important in our approach to scripture and in our understanding of how to pull the Bible out, put our butts in the chairs and study God's word. Second 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. How are you approved to God? How are you a presenting yourself as approved because you are a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. We need to be diligent in our study for scripture. I long for the father's approval. And you know how we get the father's approval? We accurately handle his word. We put our butts in the chair and we make sure we study well. We do not say Genesis 12.1 says, go forth from this land and therefore I'm moving to New Mexico. Um, That instruction was to Abram, not you. And I, I've done this. Um, I, I, when I look back at some of the decisions I made as a younger man, I've done this more times than I want to admit. One, one last point. I think this is a pretty this approach is a pretty good sign as an immature Christian who doesn't know his Bible well. If you're consistent with discipline one for years, you don't need to dip into your Bible. Um, You'll know it so well that you'll know how and when God speaks to your current situation, and you'll be able to go there. And that's a very different thing. If I know that I'm making this decision and there are three Proverbs that ring in my ears, or I know there's a proverb that speaks to this and I'm not exactly sure what it is, I'm going to go pull up scripture and find it. Or I know that there's scripture that speaks against this. And I'm not exactly sure where it is, but I know it's in Ephesians. I'm going to read through Ephesians and make sure I find it. Or it might just be memorized. Um, And so this is my encouragement to you. Open God's word, be in God's word, study it well, and make it easy for you to be able to use God's word in your decision-making process. The third one, uh, the prophecy approach. This is a lot more common than I think any of us in our church want to admit that God spoke to me or God told me or I had a feeling or I knew it was God's will. Um, And let's just talk a little bit about prophecy in the Old Testament. If a prophet was in error, um, it was it. Well, let's just read it. Deuteronomy 18, 21, 22. Actually, that's the wrong one. Um, the Old Testament speaks to the the hundred percent accuracy of Scripture, and if a man is fraud, um, then it's in iner- Then there's grave consequences to speaking for the Lord and having it not be true. So God's definition of a prophet comes from Jeremiah 23, 16. Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. Um, and also Deuteronomy eighteen eighteen: I will raise up from them a prophet like you from among their believers, and I will put my words in their mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. Deuteronomy 18, 21, 22 says, and if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that is the word that the Lord has not spoken. And when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously and you need not be afraid of him. If a man says something that is not God's word, then he's a liar. Um, I grew up in a very charismatic world. Um, I grew up in a charismatic church. Benny Hinn came to my church as a kid. Um, It was like the most like think of the most extreme charismaticism. And I was on the extreme side of that. Um, I could tell stories. But one thing that was very common was prophecy. People would come up to you all the time and say, God told me this. God told me that. And it didn't always come true. Sometimes it did, but it didn't always come true. And that's the thing is if a prophet is speaking for the Lord, 100% is going to come true. I could guess. At a lot of things, I could look at someone and guess at a lot of things. That does isn't prophecy. Um, God's revealed will does not, or unrevealed will does not make itself revealed through the mouths of people who think they're speaking for the Lord, um, and it doesn't come become revealed in some emotion of it, which leads to the next one, which is the peaceful approach. I made this decision and I had peace about it. I felt good about it. I know God told me to do this. Um. That's just flat out not how God works. Um, if we have to have peace about every decision we make that's in that's within God's will, then there are a lot of decisions that I've made in my life that must not have been God's will. But you know how I know it was? Because that's what happened, because things came true. And so God doesn't speak through peace and feelings to help you confirm that you made going to make the right decision. And think about Jesus in the garden. Jesus was in the garden and he had no peace about what he was about to do. He was in agony. He was sweating blood. Um, Luke 22, 44 says, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling to the ground. There was no peace and he had a decision to be made. Would he obey God's direct command for him to go to the cross or or would he not? God's will was revealed to him. He knew it was that, and he asked God for any other way. He did not have peace about this decision, um, but he knew he needed to go to the cross without any peace altogether, um, and he went to the cross, and thank goodness he did. Um, the decision-making process that brings about peace before you make a decision Um, Is completely man-centered. It is all about what feels good to me, and that's where I'm going to make the decision. Now, I've experienced, and I think this lines up with scripture, is after you make a decision and move forward, um, there's definitely a peace. And some of it is just the fact that you made the decision, you know that your decision is not in opposition to God's direct commands, and you move forward to it. Um, That's a different thing. I'm not talking about peace from making a decision and moving forward. I'm talking about the piece that that leads you to make a decision. Um, and that kind of leads up to my next one, the open door or closed door approach. This one's really common um and this one I've done and I actually even after I've taught this lesson, catch myself like biting my tongue from saying this um, taking this approach. It's got opened all the doors for me to get this new job, so it must be as well. The way it plays out in my life is let's move down that path. And if a door closes, we know that's not the path we're supposed to go down. I do that. I still do it. I don't know why. And um, I catch myself going, no. And so I've kind of changed my term. And the way I think about those is, well, let's move down that path until we have to make a decision, yes or no. Because if we don't have to make a decision, then we're okay. Like if I'm looking for a job and I'm interviewing for this job, and I'm not sure if it's the right job for me, Well, I don't have to make a decision during the interview process. I don't have to make a decision until I'm done with that. That's a different thing than the open door, closed door. Um, And so sometimes I think that's kind of intermixed. And sometimes I think we use that way of thinking to say, well, God hasn't closed the door, so I must just need to walk through it. I mean, thinking back on Paul, um, if Paul used that approach, We wouldn't be Christians right now because the gospel would not have spread the way it did. Um, Everywhere Paul went, the doors were closed to him and he pushed through. Um, Think about it. Paul was beaten and put in stocks in Philippi. There were riots in Thessalonica, riots in Berea, and he was mocked in Athens. Those are not open doors for ministry. It's completely arbitrary to decide that something is not God's will if it's difficult. Imagine what would have happened in our moved to go to Papua New Guinea. Imagine that entire story Um, from the time that it took for the people to get there to the Dodds coming home and Matt passing away. um, There were so many closed doors to that. And yet right now we're at the point where the gospel is being preached to a tribe that had no one near it um, just five years ago. And so God's, the open door, closed door approach is just flat out not how God works. Um, closed doors don't always mean that you shouldn't go through them, um, and that kind of—that's one manifestation of the next one, which is the sign-seeking approach. Um, the sign that we're seeking in the open door, closed door, is that the path is easy. Um, there's other signs that we look at. Um, you know, talking about the the Genesis 12 1. I opened God's word and said, "Go forth from this land." That's a sign that I need to do this. No, it's not. In this approach, we're looking for special events or even coincidences that help us make the decision. This is arbitrary because anything can be a sign. We can make a sign be anything we want it to be. Um, Here's what Jesus says to those craving a sign in Matthew 12, 38 and 39. Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him saying, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. And Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seek for a sign. But no sign will be given to them except for the sign of the the prophet Jonah. Um, An evil and adulterous generation seek a sign. Uh, That's enough for me to say I don't want to be in the sign-seeking approach. Um, It's just not in scripture. And so those are are the approaches, a list of many approaches to um, man-centered ways of decision-making. I think if we all kind of sit back and think about those approaches um, significant decisions. I feel like I've used one or all of those almost my entire life. It's hard to be disciplined to not take a man centered approach to decision making. It just is. Um, and so we need to recognize that. We need to recognize the subtleties to some of these. Um, and we need to, to use the decision making process that I outline here in the next section. Um, and, and we need to remember that God does not desire us to find his unrevealed will before we make a decision. Um, and, and really, these approaches are that. They're us trying to look for something that is God's un, within God's unrevealed will to make a decision. Um, and that's why these are unbiblical. Um, every single one of these methods is centered on the decision maker. And left to our arbitrary feelings, we're probably not going to make the right decision. So how do we need to think about this? First and foremost, we need to separate, extract, stop thinking about the decision-making process as a finding God's will in our lives. Um, We need to not think about decision-making as a, I need to find God's unrevealed will. I've in the same point, and I'll talk about this in a minute, um, and I feel like I have been talking about it over and over again, we need to make sure that we are not making decisions that are p- opposed to God's revealed will. Um, should I um, get this job? Well, the business is known for stealing money from, cus- from their customers. Um, no, I don't want to work there. Should I quit my job because my boss asked me to do something that is un, um, immoral and against God's revealed will? Absolutely. You need to find a path as quick as possible to get out from under a command or an action to be sinned. And so there are ways to make decisions that are within God's will and think through God's revealed will. Um, but every decision we make is not an act of finding God's will in this decision. man that is good coffee so what is decision making informed by scripture does the, the decision make the key decision making to let me start over that section the key to decision making isn't finding the unfindable God's God's unrevealed will there's a six step process here for biblical decision making um, and so. This section here, I think I've mentioned this at the beginning, but this whole section is really pulled from Joel James's counseling on decision-making. I think it's it's almost straight plagiarism, but it's really good. There's no reason to rewrite it. Um, and so as we walk through this, every single section here talks about the outside of you way to make decisions. And so think about it that way. Biblical decision-making confronts decisions Outside of yourself um I think that's really important so let's look at that god's in God's strength number one in God's strength be obedient to God's revealed will his commands and his broad intentions and this is a little bit of what I just said so what am I saying here generally speaking we're to be an obedient to God decision maker the first place is to be to begin is to make sure where God has clearly revealed his will and that we're indeed we're walking in accordance to this. It goes back to the verse I said we should memorize. This is the will of God, your sanctification. God's revealed will is seen in both his commandments and his broad intentions. And we need to make sure that we're not going against to that. Um, So we don't want to focus on finding God's will in our decisions while ignoring his revealed will in our life. We need to fight sin and be Christ-like. Number two, um, pray for wisdom. God asks us, God commands us to pray for wisdom. Commit your works to the Lord and your plans will be established. The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. Um, In James, he talks about the importance of us asking for wisdom and God will grant it to you. Difficult decisions begin with prayer. We must ask for God's wisdom right from the start. As you prayerfully commit your works to the Lord, he will establish your ways. Oftentimes, he directs your staff steps down a different plan path than you planned, but that doesn't mean that he's not directing your steps. And you need to humbly commit your decision to making making to God and pray for wisdom as to how to do that. So remember, this is what you're not praying for. You're not praying for a sign. You're not praying for an open door. You're not praying for a word of the, from the Lord. You're praying for God's wisdom. That means you need daily intake of God's wisdom in scripture. The book of Proverbs needs to be a regular part of your Bible intake. Wisdom literature. It takes time to absorb the wisdom and to learn to live by it. It takes time to pray for how that wisdom should shape your decision-making process. I think that's one of the things I run into a lot too. Um, I have a decision before me and I want to make it quickly. And sometimes taking a step back, and just praying for wisdom, the decision's a lot easier to make. Um, this happened recently in, the, in an elder meeting two weeks ago. We were talking about a decision we as elders were wanting to make. And one of the elders said, I'm comfortable that if this opportunity goes away within the next two weeks, we missed it. But I think we all should spend some time praying and seeking God's wisdom in it. Two weeks went by, and the decision was easy. And that's because we all went back, prayed, Sought God's wisdom, sought wisdom from outsiders, which is later the next one actually, um, and made the decision making process easy. You need to spend time in prayer. You need to take your time. Most decisions do not need to be made in a moment. You can take your time, and and if you are in Scripture regularly, you'll it will, be, you will be reminded of the wisdom that comes from Scripture very quickly, and that's a different thing than the Lord telling you something. Praying for wisdom and remembering a proverb that speaks directly to it is God revealing his word to you in the moment. And that's a very different thing than a sign. Um, The next one, gather information and counsel, and that is counsel outside of you. The naive believes everything, but a simple, a sensible man considers his steps. Proverbs loves careful, thoughtful, informed decision-making. Write these down, Proverbs fourteen, fifteen, and Proverbs 21, 5. Those are great tools to just remind us to be slow and to seek counsel. Knowing all that you can know about a decision is helpful as you weigh your decision. Again, one of the problems for believers today is that they're just in too much of a hurry to make decisions. It's exactly what I just said. It's like I wrote these notes. Um, Consider what Proverbs says about foolishness of being hasty in your life. That's your homework. Go consider what fo- what Proverbs says about hasty decisions. Good decisions are based on knowledge. Good decisions take time. Look at this in contrast to the pragma- pragmatic approach. Making lists and abiding by those lists is very different than seeking counsel from people that you know and know God's word and are wise counselor. Another proverb is without count. Consultation plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. One of the ways to get knowledge or information you need is to get counsel from others. Um, We have limited information and experience, along with our blind spots. And going back to that elder meeting, we actually called in an expert about the decision and asked him questions. and And that was so helpful. It's so helpful to be able to get experts related to the decision. I've done that countless times with the coffee business, where. I know CPAs, I know people that have started businesses, I know other people in business, and I just go to them and say, hey, this is the decision, here's some of the things on the table, and their information is so helpful. Um, don't be so proud as to not go to counselors. Um, I promise you, you are not the expert anywhere. There is always someone that knows more about the decision you're trying to make and can give you good feedback and help you. Um, And, and let's talk a little bit about the type of counselors we need to go to. Um, you need to go to the right kind of believers for counselors. Stable, mature, knowledgeable biblically speaking, godly, obedient people are should be your counselors. Um, and you need to know look at people that are good biblical decision makers to seek counsel from. Um, sometimes we only want to go to the people that will affirm the desire we want. Um... And I I use the new car analogy. If I want to go buy a new car, I'm going to not go seek out my friends that are always looking for new cars. Um, People that I know that we talk about getting new cars all the time with, they're just going to affirm my desire to get a new car and help me justify the new car no matter what. I need to go to people who can think rightly about, well, what does this look like in terms of your budget? What does this look like in terms of Um, reliability and the long-term impact of owning this car. Um, I don't think I've ever bought a new car since I've been at Grace Bible Church without calling Carrie at least once and saying, hey, I'm thinking about buying this car. Um, Year, mileage, what do you think? Um, And I know many people in the church take the car to him so he can look it over. That is just smart biblical decision making to go. I know an expert on cars. They will help me make the right decision I'm gonna call him up I'm gonna re- rely on him, and Carrie loves doing that. um I think that's just a great, very kind of simple template of what this seeking counselors are um and that leads to the last kind of point here. she gotta listen to them if I go to four or five different counselors and all of them tell me not to do it and I move forward uh, that's not seeking counsel, that's just trying to tickle your ears um and I know people that ask me for advice and it's obvious. They're just looking for me to tell them they're right and they're going to move on to someone else that's going to tell them they're right. Um, this is such a temptation. You look for counsel to reassure you in the decision you already want to make instead of look over counsel to try to get an idea of what the right decision is to make. Uh, let me say that again. Don't look for counsel to reassure you of the decision you want to make, but look for counsel to help you make sure that you're making the right decision before you make it. Um, so far in the decision making process, we have sought to be obedient to God's commands, we've prayed for vision, or for vision, yeah, we've prayed for wisdom from God, and we've sought counsel from others. These are all outside of you things that you need to do. God's command is in Scripture. God's wisdom is from him and the counsel is from others. Um, the next one is kind of tied to the first one, um, but this is, is there somewhere in scripture that speaks directly to this decision? Um, and sometimes that happens. Sometimes scripture specifically tells you um, a guide for what to do with this decision. So we need to understand if God's revealed will in this specific situation or if God's revealed will applies to this specific situation. Um, Let me use an example. Say there's a young believing man who is debating whether he should marry a girl. She's kind. She's exciting. She's attractive, but she's not a believer. First Corinthians 739 says, a Christian is is to marry only in the Lord. A Christian is only to marry another believer. God's word has revealed in his revealed plan that this man should not marry her. It doesn't matter all the other things. You're not to marry someone who's not a Christian. The young man might look for signs. He might look at pros and cons. He might look for a piece, the lucky dip, and say, God told me. But all of that would be a waste of time if God's revealed will specifically commands against it. Um. There is no wisdom and no understanding and no counsel against the Lord. And let's look at this from a little bit different angle. Um, God doesn't say in the Bible that you should work for business X or business Y. However, if one boss expects you to cook the books so that he can cheat on his taxes, you know God's will for that situation. God has revealed it in Scripture. Romans thirteen six says, pay your taxes, render under Caesar what is Caesar's. You know you can't accept or stay at a job which demands you disobey God or help someone else disobey. A man might debate over which job to take, but there's really no debate on whether he should look for a job or not. Um, for 2 Corinthians 3, 10 through 12, for even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, he, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord Jesus Christ to work in a quiet fashion and eat their own bread. God has directly spoken to us and commanded us to work. The question is not whether we should get a job. The question is what job. Um, If God has spoken directly to an issue in, in his word, really there is no decision. The decision-making process is obey God. Um, And God has made some of these very easy and some of these trickier. Um, I have an old friend who finished getting his MBA, was looking for a job, and he had a tough decision to make. He had one interview, one job offer in a different city, in a different state. He knew no one, and he didn't know of a good church there. He had one interview, one job offer. Um, there There was no decision. He couldn't stay home and not work, but he couldn't find any other work. So under normal circumstances, you have a job offer in an interview in a place with good believers, a good circle, all these things that you want to have in your life so you can be with God's people um, or you have a, a job somewhere else. That's a decision. If you have one job, you go where the work is because God's commanded you to work. Um, How does the Bible speak indirectly to my decision? This is number five in the six-step process. Um, Number five says, how does God speak indirectly to my decision? Decision Decision-making becomes easy when the Bible says something like, don't steal. That's a divine directive on whether to continue at a job where you were asked to cheat your customers. Um, The Bible doesn't speak directly to, should I make a difficult phone call today or tomorrow? But that doesn't mean that God's word in that case cannot still be a lamp unto our feet. Whatever decision we, w- we face, it is certain that God has, at least indirectly, addressed it in his word. So let's look at another example. God's word doesn't directly say which car you should buy. But that doesn't mean that God's word doesn't give you any input that decision. Um, Let's put it a different way. God doesn't speak directly what car you should buy, but God does give you a lot of input in his decision. See, I got rid of the double negative there. Um, Indirectly, it says these things. Um, What does it say about debt? A borrower borrower becomes a lender's slave. If you take out a Ferrari-sized loan on a Ford-sized budget, then you are not following God's command in buying a car. God has commented on your decision about buying a car to buy within your means. Um, and obviously God's word doesn't speak to cars. Um, but it might tell you indirectly, um, the type of car you want to buy. Um, if you are looking at a car for your family and, and you want to buy a sports car, um, that's not that's not following a biblical model. God says, husbands, love your wives. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Um, buy a car that serves your family well. And do nothing from selfishness. Um, indirectly, God says a lot about buying a car. It just isn't directly, go buy this car at this time. And so we need to understand scripture very broadly. And this, I think, I think I keep going back to this, but it's really important that we are in God's word and that we, that his word is on our lips. His word is on our mind and that we can quickly think about what are, what are areas where God's word speaks directly or indirectly to this. Um, And the last step is humbly follow your desire and decide. Um, We've talked about five steps that are completely outside of you. And once you check your heart with these five steps, then you can use what your desires are and move inward. Um, If all that is left is your own desire, then it's okay because your inward desire has been checked repeatedly by God's word. You've made sure that you're not going with an old man, an old heart, old man's heart in your decision-making, but you're checking your heart against God's word and moving forward correctly. Um, if you've prayed for wisdom, if you've gathered counsel from other, if you've searched for scripture on how it speaks directly or indirectly from this decision, if you've also searched for how um, script, God's revealed will is relates to this, um, and you've looked at your motives and your goals, and you've said, these mo- I'm being motivated correctly and in alignment with scripture. Um, if his indirect and direct principles of God's word help make this decision easier, but you still don't have a clear A or B choice, then do what you want. All other things being equal, do what you want, but make sure all of those are checked with all of the other things. And even speaking, I mean, you might end up seeking counsel and three out of four counselors say to go one way and one says to go another. Um, That doesn't make the decision easy, but it might show you that this decision is is a little bit of a coin toss. Um, I think it's very important that we recognize when we check our hearts against all of these other processes, we do have freedom to be able to make the decision that we want. Um, If God's revealed will doesn't directly or indirectly rule out all options except one, if practical considerations are essentially equal, then all that is left is your desire. You've labored to carefully scrutinize your desire with a desire to please God with the decision and make a choice. Freedom, of course, is never a license to be selfish or sinful. Your job has been to think through matters wisely and biblical, and it is God's job to make sure your will, his will is done. Make the decision and enjoy God, watching God's will revealed as you look back on the decision. For you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And what do you do if the decision goes bad? In those decisions... Situations we need to learn from any mistakes and repent from any sin that we couldn't see earlier and now see more clearly, and then make a decision to correct the situation. Sometimes you do your best and things fall apart. And when decisions go bad, we must trust in God's sovereignty. God's will can never be defeated by our puny decisions. Think about that. God's will cannot be defeated. God's will will happen, even if we make a decision that may not be the, have been the best. When a decision doesn't work out, it is God's will for it to fall on its face. And some of God's lessons can be learned only through failure. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 are so helpful. I think many people have this verse memorized. This is a favorite verse. It should be a memorized verse. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Thank you.